about to die or something. <laughs> oh my god, no! At okay. famous Kate and Liz, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. At famous Kate and Liz. Okay. Why does that not? You know, when sometimes you write out a word and you're like, that's not right, but then like oh, it I totally know. is. But for some <laughs> reason, you think it doesn't look right. <laughs> that just like computer okay. is lying to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. 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 Here we go. Three, two. Welcome to Famous with Kate and Liz. Howdy, partners. Uh, <laughs> oh no, guys, we're sorry. I I am like so awkward. You know, it's so hard to start and end a podcast. Okay. <laughs> It is like, so hard. It feels right? so like being on the spot, even though we're just in our bedrooms, <laughs> in our separate yeah, bedrooms by ourselves. Yeah, we're just. I'm I'm on the East Coast. I'm Kate. If you and don't I'm know, Liz. I'm on the West Coast, yeah. and this is the the podcast where we basically just read Wikipedia to you, so you don't have to. <laughs> That's what I feel yeah. like. Yeah, and this new series that we're on, Famous Divas, it's perfect for that because these Wikipedia pages go deep. They go deep. So, oh my God. Give them a Pulitzer Prize. Give them Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) Honestly, give them a few bucks, really, because you you know you're out there Wikipediaing everything. You're just like, how many times a week do you think you reference Wikipedia? Are you asking me? Oh, (laughs) or is this a rhetorical question? Yeah, I guess it was rhetorical. (laughs) I mean, at least once a day, I probably am on Wikipedia. It just depends on the time of year. I mean, like, if The Crown is on, I'm on Wikipedia multiple times, like, after every episode. (laughs) Yes, trying to figure out the actual historical, like, relevance and how, you know, how true it was or, oh, my God, so many things. So many things happen every episode for The Crown. It's, like, insane. I can't even get into it. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so last week we did Dolly Parton as our duet episode. And she's just, I think she's everybody's famous diva. And, again, this is not, like, a negative divas thing. This is, like, icon, diva, legend, you know, mm-hmm. everybody and it loves empower them. her divas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So Liz is back this week to give us her famous diva, and I think I'll be doing one next week. <laughs> I hope to. Um, why did I say that? I don't know. That was weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> don't doubt yourself. <laughs> And, oh, so also just, like, follow us on Instagram at yeah. Famous Kate and Liz. Kate with a C. And tell um, a friend. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, tell a friend. Um, Rate, review, subscribe. Um, let us know what famous series you want next. We got a couple more divas, you know. Um, but... We've had some good suggestions, too, so I think we need to start incorporating those into um, our lineup, and yeah, we always want to hear, we want to give the people what they want, you know? Right. what we do. That's what we do. So, message us there, um, or email us 
at famous Kate and Liz Gmail. Yeah, at Gmail. At AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I'm on dial up right now. Okay. <laughs> That's where my brain's at right now. I'm on dial up. <laughs> well, right you just sit dial. back and relax then oh, because I'm going to tell a tale, which is just like almost on par as Dolly. Like this is the divas we are doing. It is so hard to like cut this down because they all have had amazing careers and lives and are current today in their own ways. So just enjoy. I couldn't be more comfortable in my bed with my little glass of wine. And I just am so ready to hear all about this. So okay, you go, girl. Well, this week, we are talking about the one the only share that's right Sherilyn Sarkissian <laughs> oh is it Sherilyn it is Sherilyn we'll get into the names and okay. the many names of share uh, her Listen, legal name I've already is learned something I have already <laughs> learned something yes Thanks. she was born Sherilyn Sarkissian but her legal name is just share no last name Okay. Wow. Um, so yeah. So Cher was born in El Centro, California. I've driven through it many a times. Just keep driving people. <laughs> um, on May 20th. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty deserty and flat. Um so yeah, so she was born May 20th, 1946. Her father was John Sarkissian. He was an Armenian-American truck driver who had really bad drug and gambling problems. And her mother, um, her name is Georgia Holt. Which that's actually her stage name because she was an occasional model and part-time actress. And she was pretty diverse. She had Irish, English, German, and Cherokee ancestry. Um, so she's definitely, you know, okay, that's why she okay. where she gets her diverse looks from, you know. Okay. Oh, that's cool. See, listen. Oh, my God. You're done. You can just leave now because you've already <laughs> two sentences in. <laughs> you've already taught me so much. I'm so. Thank you. We'll see you next now. week. <laughs> and on a high note. Wow. Okay. I yeah. need to okay, get so like a first, notebook out and start taking notes for real. Well, you can just open the document where all my notes are. <laughs> true, 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 true. So, yeah. So, like I mentioned, her dad had some issues and um, he was rarely home when she was a child, like a baby. Her parents divorced when she was only 10 months old. And then her mom later married an actor named John, John Southall. And they had a daughter named Georgianne. So Cher has a half-sister named Georgianne. Okay. So their mom, Georgia, moved them, moved herself and the daughters to Los Angeles after she started dating John Southall. And she worked as an actress and a waitress. Um, but her relationship ended with him um, when Cher was nine years old. But she considers him her father. And she remembers oh. him. Yeah, she remembers him as a 
and I quote, good-natured man who turned belligerent when he drank too much. Oh, yep. I think a lot of people, especially during that time, had one of those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It just seemed weird that she, like, she does remember him fondly and considers him her father, but then, obviously, there was sort of a a dark side, too. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So her mom remarried and divorced several more times. She like moved the family, her daughters all around the country. They lived in New York, Texas, California, and they usually had very little money. Um, So Cher remembers having to use rubber bands to hold her shoes together. And, and at one point her mom actually left her at an orphanage for several weeks. um, Even though they met almost every day, but they both found that that experience was very traumatic. Um, But I think her mom just knew she couldn't care for her um, during that time. So it kind of reminds me of the Barry Boars. Her mom brought her to an orphanage? Yeah, she left her at an orphanage, but they still met up every day. But, like, she wasn't fully taking care of her. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That is so sad. Wow. I already love Cher so much more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, she's had the struggle for sure. Um, in 1961, her mom married bank manager Gilbert LaPierre, who adopted Cher um, under the name Cheryl LaPierre and George Ann, her half-sister. And he enrolled them in the Montclair College Preparatory School, which was a private school in Encino, California. So obviously the students were very affluent and upper class. Um, and that sort of presented a challenge for Cher because she stood out from the other kids because of her like really striking appearance. You know, she had these like really dark hair and big eyes. Yeah. People at that time in Hollywood and the elite, you know, were blonde. And she she talked about how she never really um, saw herself, you know, in the roles on TV and uh, movies and whatnot. Um, yeah, she didn't have the most ideal upbringing probably either, just based on, mm-hmm. like, having to move around a lot. And so she already had faced way more struggle than these people could ever imagine basically absolutely and a former classmate commented um I love this she says I'll never forget seeing Cher for the first time she was so special she was like a movie star right then and there she said she was going to be a movie star and we knew she would um but you know she wasn't like she wasn't really an excellent student um she was creative right but she just wasn't good at academic you know the structure mm-hmm. um and she did do good you know in some things like French and English but when she was an adult she discovered she had dyslexia so she probably didn't know that as a oh. child and that's why she struggled damn that's rough I did love this little tidbit though um I guess I think during this time at at the school she share directed starred and produced um a, a production of Oklahoma, the musical, and because of her unique, deep voice, she played all the male parts. <laughs> no. Yeah. What? What? That is such diva behavior. Like this. Yeah. This woman was obviously born to be a diva. I know, and like wow. it doesn't seem. Like- I mean, I didn't really find anything where she felt self-conscious about her deep voice. She might have been. But, you know, this is just an example of, like, she knows she has this unique voice and she's just going to use it 
in a different yeah. way, you know, to get what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, whatever. Like, yeah. this, she, yeah, dude, wow, she's special. She, she knew is she was going to be a star. A she just story. didn't know, like, it wasn't going to be singing, acting. She knew she was going to do something. Mm-hmm. So when oh. she was 16, she dropped out of school left her mom's house and moved to Los Angeles with a friend where she started taking acting classes and worked to support herself by dancing in small clubs along the Sunset Strip. And there she would just like make it a point to introduce herself to performers, managers, agents, like everybody she could. Um, And that's where she met Sonny Bono. And we cannot talk about Cher without Sonny because just like Dolly and Porter Wagner, like he was such a big part of her life and career. Um, So she met him in November um, 1962. And at that time, he was working for the very problematic record producer, Phil Spector. (laughs) Oh, no. Convicted murderer. Yes. Wikipedia that, guys. Wikipedia that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So um, Cher's friend moved out and she eventually accepted Sonny's offer to be his housekeeper. So she started like taking care of his house, living with him. And he introduced her to Phil Spector, who used her as a backup singer on like some really famous songs, including the Ronettes, Be My Baby and the Righteous Brothers, You Lost That Loving Feeling. So Cher was the backup vocals. Wow. Yep. Wow, wow. And Phil Spector also produced her first single, which was called Ringo, I Love You. Um, She recorded it under the name Bonnie Jo Mason. But this is so funny. (laughs) The song was rejected by many radio stations because they thought Cher's deep vocals were a man's voice. And they thought that it was a male homosexual singing a love song dedicated to Ringo Starr, (laughs) the Beatles drummer. (laughs) Oh, which now, nowadays, that would be like, everyone would be playing that, you know, that would be like the hottest thing going, you know, that is so crazy. I I think that's so funny. So again, you know, her deep voice coming up um, in in, um, you know, her career, but kind of preventing her from moving forward, but eventually, you know, really is what she's known for. Um, It's so iconic. It's so so iconic. iconic. So she and Sunny became close friends, eventual lovers, and they actually performed their own unofficial wedding ceremony in a hotel room in Tijuana, Mexico on October 27th, 1964. So they, this was unofficial okay. wedding. They do officially get married later on. Um, and Sonny wanted to launch Cher as a solo artist. He really believed in her. Um, but she actually encouraged him to perform with her because she had such bad stage fright. Um, so he began joining her on stage and singing the harmonies to her song. And so she would disguise her nervousness by looking at him and singing to him. So if you've seen their old performances, she does that a lot. Yes, I have seen. I Mm -hmm. have seen some of those. Wow. And it just worked well because they were a couple, you know, too. So. Right. um, It's perfect. In 1964, they became a duet a duo called Caesar and Cleo <laughs> what <laughs> yeah that was uh their original stage name uh Caesar and Cleo 
but they no. didn't really go too far with that. Um, yeah, didn't make it too far. So in 1965, they just started calling themselves by their real names, Sonny and Cher, and they recorded I Got You, Babe, um, which, you know, everybody knows, I think probably their most famous song. Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree. they traveled to England in July of that year um, on the advice of the Rolling Stones because the Rolling Stones told them Americans just don't get us and that if they were going to make it big, they have to go to England. So like on wow. the night, they got, the night they got to town, they were thrown out of the London Hilton because of their outfits and the <gasps> press arrived and like saw this happening covered it and so literally overnight they became like stars in London no. and like everybody in London no. loved their outfits because like their outfits they weren't mod or and they weren't rocker they were like in between and like something like a fashion that Dude. hadn't really been before. this is yeah. insanity yeah. so this yeah, is how out. they like hit it big this is like yeah, it really was the beginning of Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So I Got You, Babe, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 um, chart, and Rolling Stone has listed among the 500 greatest songs of all time in 2003. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And they also, this is pretty impressive, they knocked the Beatles off the top of the British charts. Um, And like I said, English teenagers were going crazy for Sonny and Cher. They started to emulate their fashion style with bell bottoms, striped pants, ruffled shirts, like industrial zippers and fur vests. Yes. Um, yes. Ironing yes. their hair. Which I'm know. so here for. I yes. Love this. It's great. It's so great. Um, and so they, they made some appearances on like teeny bop shows um, back in the U.S. after they got their fame in England. Um and then that kind of led them to a tour of like the largest arenas in the US. And at those shows, again, like fashion took over. All these girls who were share lookalikes started showing up. They were dyeing their hair black and like straight ironing it, wearing their vests and bell bottoms. Um, so naturally, the creative genius Cher is, she decided to design a clothing line. <laughs> Oh my God, she is a true. I mean, what hasn't she done? What hasn't she done? Seriously, that. So their first album, Sunny and Cher's first album, was called "Look at Us," um, and it was released in 1965 for Atco Records, which is a division of Atlantic Records. Spent eight weeks um, at the number two spot on the Billboard 200 behind the Beatles. Help. Um, and the material became really popular. The, um, the duo, they like pretty much took, like knocked the British invasion off the charts, like, or wow. And same with Motown, like they were right up there, like nipping at their heels, if not surpassing them. Wow. So this was like the shift. This was the shift, I think. Yep, and so they like really, we're so lucky. Their whole timing of everything. It a lot of this just exactly seems like right place at the right time, and yeah, their, yeah. Their and their personalities is really what got them mm-hmm. far. Um, so between 1965 and 1972, they had five top ten singles. Like I said, I got you, babe. Baby, don't go. The beat goes on. All I ever need is you. And a cowboy's work is never done. I'm gonna have to check that one out. <laughs> Uh, yeah. 
Google that. Yep. And at one point they had five songs in the top 50 at the same time, which has only ever been done by the Beatles and Elvis. Yeah, that sounds pretty impressive. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So like, they I were like, knew they were big, but I didn't know they were like that. I didn't, I didn't know they were like that big. Um, and they just really kind of became this you know, rock, pop, it couple. Um, But Cher also kind of had her own solo career going, um, which was competitive with her work with Sunny. Um, And she had um, an album called The Sunny Sunny Side of Cher. They love a play on words. Oh (laughs) my God. That's so good. (laughs) That is so good. I love that. So much. And that album featured um, Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down, which reached number two in the U.S. and number three in the U.K. And I just always know that song from um, Kill Bill. So it's, you know, pretty iconic even today. Yep, yep. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. So, but by the end of the 60s, like, a new sound was coming in. Like, it was Mm -hmm. the heavy, loud sounds like Jefferson Airplane and Cream, um, and it made their kind of folk rock music seem too bland, you know? It wasn't, like, as um, edgy. And so Cher had said, I love the new sound of Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, Eric Clapton, and electric guitar-oriented bands. Left to myself, I would have changed with the times because the music really turned me on. But okay. Sonny didn't like it, and that was that. Damn. So, yeah. So Sonny she... is definitely emerging as a little controlling. <laughs> we'll get yep. into it. And, but that just shows you, too, how, like, how amazing share is and why she's still so relevant because she is like looking ahead you know she's like going with the times she's not just like willing to yeah Yeah. because she is really an she is an artist like she is a freaking artist yeah oh my gosh so many ways folk rock like disco pop like she has done it all you know she definitely reinvents herself she's willing Um, to adapt to the times which is what any great artist does and business person is she's like if we need to sell records this is what people want to hear you know smart so the other Mm -hmm. thing that was kind of putting a damp on their popularity was their monogamous lifestyle because they were at the height of the sexual revolution and they had taken an anti-drug position um, and it was at the height of like drug culture, you know, so this yep. really lost them popularity among the youth. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So then Cher's next album in 1968 was called Backstage, and she really did explore lots of different diverse musical genres, including Brazilian jazz, and she had anti-war protest songs, um, but it wasn't a commercial success. Um, So the Mm -hmm. next year, she was dropped from Imperial Records, and she and Sonny were also dropped from Atco, so her duet with Sonny when they were dropped and then her solo dropped too. Uh, um, and you know what? I bet it was all Sonny who was saying like, let's take an anti-drug oh, stance. Yeah. You know, she probably was like, she was like, I don't care. You know, like she probably didn't even want that to happen. Like, 
want that to be their stance anyway. But, yeah, he was like a Republican uh, senator, I'm pretty sure, later in life. So makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I could imagine, yeah, if she was more into like like a like an artist, you're just like, dude, whatever. Like everybody should just do whatever makes them happy within reason, like smoking yeah. a little pot, whatever, you well, know. Like, and just knowing how she's like open to a changing with the times, these are the times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. even though Adco dropped Sonny and Cher, they wanted to sign Cher for a solo album called um, 3614 Jackson Highway. Um, and that was eventually recorded without the guidance of Sonny. And it has a lot of like um, soul music kind of um, tones in it. And this guy named Mark Deming from All Music proclaimed it arguably the finest album of her career and is still a re- revelation decades later. But Sonny didn't like 3614 Jackson Highway and he prevented Cher from releasing any more <gasps> recording for ADCO. Okay. Okay. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even though they were all like, like monogamous this. and whatnot, Sonny also started to date around and dated other people <gasps> in the 1960s. And that's when their relationship really started to unravel. But he eventually desperately tried to win her back, telling her that he wanted to officially marry and start a family. Um, so they did. So they did get officially married after she gave birth to Chaz Bono, born Chastity Bono, on March 4th, 1969. And we'll talk a little bit more about Chaz later on in her kind of current times. Um, But interestingly, they were really into the name Chastity. (laughs) Yeah. Not only did they name their child that, um, the couple spent... $500,000 and mortgaged their home to make the art film called Chastity, which was written and directed by Sonny, who did not appear in the movie, but it tells the story of a young woman played by Cher searching for the meaning of life. Um, So obviously it failed commercially and it put them $190,000 in debt with back taxes. What? This is, this know. doesn't track. This isn't the share I know and love. No, <laughs> this is all sunny. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. this kind of led to the lowest point of their career. Um, you know, they weren't, they didn't have a, a record contracts anymore. They were forced to start doing nightclub routines. Uh, you know, they went from touring arenas. Oh, right? no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. This is when you either... This what is what makes you or breaks you. Exactly. And yeah. The way they handle it, the way Cher handled it, we should say, is incredible. Because during these days when they are just performing from nightclub to nightclub, the audience would heckle them and Cher would heckle back. And then Sonny would get mad at her and reprimand her in front of the crowd. And that would make, you know, then she would heckle Sonny back. And that would make people laugh because she wasn't putting up with this shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. And so that caught the attention of TV executives, and that's what led to Sonny and Cher getting their own um, TV. So they had been noticed, um, you know, through their nightclub gigs, but then also as guest hosts on the Merv Griffin Show in 1971, and that led them to get a deal for Sonny and the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, um, and it aired it 
originally aired for just six episodes, but because the ratings were so big, um, it turned into a full-time show. I think it had only been planned as like a, a limited series. Oh, okay. That's interesting because I feel like that's what, that's the other thing. Like, I feel like everybody will, I don't know, like if my kids will have ever have heard of like the Sonny and Cher show, you know, but anyone I think in their thirties definitely are older knows of seeing a clip from the Sonny and Cher absolutely, show, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So their show was watched by more than 30 million people um, every week during its three-year run, and the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour was praised for comedic timing, um, deadpan Cher mocking Sonny about his looks and short stature, <laughs> and they just had this, like, warm, playful, like, you know, personalities, and people um really liked it because it kind of became like um a family fun show too because they would bring yeah. Chaz on and sing with Chaz and you know they they seemed like the perfect family right right wow I could imagine any family you know back in the day when you actually had to tune into a show at a certain time mm-hmm. only on your television like and you had one tv in your house like exactly. that's what you did that was like what you did so you were eating your tv dinner and watching yeah. the sunny and share comedy hour <laughs> absolutely absolutely so in 1971 sunny and share got another record contract with cap records um which is part of mca and share released the single classified 1a where she sings from the point of view of a soldier who bleeds to death in vietnam pretty intense oh. um and the song was written by Sonny, actually, which is kind of surprising, but it didn't have commercial success. You know, again, it was re- rejected by radio stations. Um, and so since his like attempts at reviving their career were unsuccessful, Cap Records brought in um, Snuff Garrett. I think he's a producer to, yeah, a producer to work with them. And he produced Cher's second number one um single gypsies tramps and thieves and uh, yeah mm-hmm. so he knew what to do with Shara's voice and her persona and Sonny didn't you know um so the commercial success of gypsies tramps and thieves just proves that um and it has been called by billboard one of the 20th century's greatest songs so um so yeah mm-hmm. but Obviously, Sonny didn't really like that. And in 1972, (laughs) um, Snuff Garrett quit as a producer after he disagreed with Sonny about the kind of material that Cher should record. Um, Wow. Yeah. So then Sonny, like, told Cher she should release some other albums, and they weren't successful again. But um, later in 1973, a lyricist named Mary Dean brought Snuff Garrett the song Half Breed, which is a song about a daughter of a Cherokee mother and a white father that she had Mm. written especially for Cher. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and even though Snuff Garrett wasn't um, working with her at that time, he convinced like Cher that this is going to be a smash for you like you have to record this um and he held the song um just for her until he could get back in you know in a contract with her and have her record it wow 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 good for him bravo yeah exactly so he believed in her 
Um, and then their their career was revived under Cap Records and MCA. They had, you know, several more albums um, from 1971 to 1973, both Sonny and Cher. But they had problems in their marriage starting in 1972. But they had to, like, maintain their appearance. Like, everything was okay. Um, oh, and, God. yeah, you know, because they were so successful. Um, and in 1974, uh, Sonny wrote in his diary, the public thinks we, we are married. Um, and that's the way it has to be, you know? So like he wasn't yeah. happy. She wasn't happy. Um, and in February of 1974, Sonny filed for separation, citing irreconcilable differences. But what did our queen share do? Kate, what did she do? What did she do? With that? This what is probably my do? favorite thing about Cher that I learned. A week after getting, you know, served with separation papers, Cher countered with a divorce suit and charged Sonny with involuntary servitude, claiming that he withheld money from her and deprived her of her rightful <gasps> share of their earnings. <laughs> yes. She's like, oh, you want to separate? I'm going to hit you back with the slavery, modern day slavery. Wow. I mean, it seems, I mean, I don't really know much about Sonny, but what you've shared here, it's just, he seems a little controlling. And, yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and side with Cher on this one. Yes. And so they they battled in court over finances, the custody of Chaz, um, which Cher eventually was oh. granted. Um, and, you know, that went on for a couple of years and their divorce, divorce was finalized on June 26, 1975. Um, but he still remained like a big part of her life. I mean, obviously, he was like the father of her child, but also in her career. So, mm. um We'll get to that in a minute. But during the divorce proceedings, Cher had a two-year romantic relationship with record producer or record executive David Geffen. And he helped free her from her business arrangement with Sonny so that she was able to work um, with him. And he created Cher Enterprises, which was a company he ran. Um, so he really helped give her her financial and artistic like creativity and pullback. Um, wow. Nice. Yep. Yep. Um, and then on June 30th, which was four days after finalizing her divorce from Sonny, Cher married rock musician Greg Allman of the Allman Brothers band. Oh, the Allman Brothers. <laughs> yes, yes. I know of so these cool. Allman Brothers. <laughs> like a good match. But unfortunately, they divorced nine days later because of his heroin and liquor problems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> They reconciled within a month, and they have one son, Elijah Blue, who was born on July 10th, 1976. No way. That so is she's sticking crazy. it out with him. Trying to stick it out oh. with old Greg Allman. Um, and in 19, or I'm sorry, in February 16th, 1975, Cher returned to TV. She got a solo show on CBS called Cher, and it was centered around her songs, monologue, um, comedy, you know, and of course her clothing. Everyone would tune in to see what she was wearing. Oh my God, of course, of course. Oh my God. Oh. And it got really favorable reception. But it lasted less than a year, and it was replaced by a new show where she re reunited with ex-husband, Sonny, 
um, because she said doing a show alone was more than she could handle. So um, this is pretty progressive of them. It was the very first show to star a divorced couple at the time in 1976. I don't even know if there is one today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I think this was probably the one and only. Wow. Yeah. So like they reunited, they could still work well professionally, you know, for the most part. But, um, you know, they had that banter that everybody loved um, and it was a rating success. But Sharon Sonny's insulting on-screen banter about their divorce, her extravagant lifestyle, and then her troubled relationship with Greg Allman caused a public backlash. And the show eventually got canceled in 1977. Wow. Yeah, that sounds super progressive for that time. (laughs) Right, for that time. Um, So Cher and Greg Allman did do a duet album in 1977 called To the Hard Way. Um, Their relationship ended right after that album came out, and their divorce was finalized in 1979. So that just seems like a really chaotic relationship. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, And then in 1978, we'll just mention this quickly. She had a live-in relationship with Kiss member Gene Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Who didn't have a relationship with Gene Simmons? Raise your hand. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody, okay, thought so. (laughs) Wow. This same year, she also... And she also legally changed her name from Sherilyn Sarkisian LaPierre Bono Allman to just Cher because she did not want to use four different surnames anymore. Yeah, that's insane. Why did she keep adding on? Why didn't she just get rid of them? I think because like those were like legally, you know, in legal contractual documents, her name. And so she had to just eliminate them. And it's just like... You know what? Be your own diva and just be like, my name's Cher, okay? (laughs) Screw you, patriarch. I don't need your last name. When you say Cher, everybody knows who you're talking about. There is not. Yep. Dolly, Cher, Madonna. Exactly. Um, So this is a little out of order, but I just want to kind of wrap up the sunny segment. And because this is not the Sunny Famous Diva podcast. Okay, this is the share one. Okay. Um, so Sunny Bono died in a skiing accident in 1998. And I remember this. And it's one of the reasons I am scared to ski myself. Don't ski. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, yep. I'm not skiing. Sunny Bono died skiing. Yep. Go fuck exactly. yourself. <laughs> I was like a child. And I was like, oh, God. Um, snow sounds scary. Okay. <laughs> That's like when I stopped skiing, like legit, I think yeah, that's probably a lot of people grade. did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at his funeral, Cher delivered a tearful eulogy, calling him the most unforgettable character she had ever met, and she paid tribute to him by hosting the CBS special Sunny and Me. Cher remembers, which aired May twentieth, nineteen ninety eight. Um, and later that month, Sh- Sunny and Cher received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for television. Oh. So he was obviously, you know, despite their tumultuous relationship, he was a huge part of her life, and you know, yeah. helped her with her career in a lot of ways, but then also hindered her too. Right. So. Well, I think any of these tumultuous relationships, you know, it's like 
you know there is always going to be such a strong love that like even though it's like just as strong as they like hated each other they loved each other exactly that passion yeah yeah yeah, so that was in 1998. So going back to 1980s, Cher is, you know, we're just going to go back to her career and talk about that now that we've closed the sunny chapter. Um, she was now a single mom with two kids after her divorce from Greg Allman, and she realized she had to make a choice about the direction of her career, and she decided to abandon her desire to be a rock singer and signed with Casablanca Records and launched the comeback um, single, Take Me Home. Um, from the album of the same name and these songs and album really capitalized on the disco craze because that's what was popular in the you know late 70s early 1980s so just like we said now that she's free from sunny she can kind of do her own thing and you know evolve as a musician to try out different styles yeah yep she's free she is free (laughs) love that for her um Um, she initially wasn't too enthusiastic about disco music, but then changed her mind after having a lot of success saying, I never thought I would want to do disco, but it's terrific. It's great music to dance to. I think that danceable music is what everybody wants. Yes. 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 Give the people what they want. (laughs) Yes. She knows. she, She knows. She always really wanted to do rock. Um, so she planned a return to rock music in her next album in 1979, um, which is called Prisoner. And the album features um, the cover of it has her draped in chains as a prisoner of the press, which caused controversy among feminist groups because of her perceived portrayal of as a sex slave, I guess is what they thought. That's what they got out of that. Um, Boy, yeah, it's like, come on, guys, gals. <laughs> ladies women She's an what artist. am I supposed to call you I'm yeah so scared. um okay so she wanted to do rock but she had just had all this disco success so her rock album prisoner was kind of a flop it seemed unfocused you know people were like you should just be doing disco because that's what we want right now um and in 1980 she formed the rock a band black rose with her then lover um les dudick And although Cher was the lead singer, she did not want to receive top billing because she wanted everybody in the band to have equal billing. Um, But she was like the most recognizable person, obviously. So she decided to start changing her look and she took on more of like a punk rock look, cutting her trademark long hair, you know, making it a little spikier. Yeah. And again. And people wanted disco, so Black Rose got really unfavorable reviews. Um, Cher told Rolling Stone, The critics panned us, and they didn't attack the record. They attacked me. It was like, how dare Cher sing rock and roll? <laughs> yeah. She yeah. reminds me kind of like a Miley Cyrus. like Right, um, yes. You she know, just like, wanted to do her you... own thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know Miley Cyrus, whether people love her or hate her, is going to just keep evolving with the times. And Mm -hmm. everybody in every generation of this time is going to know, like, oh, Miley Cyrus, yeah. Like, you have heard of her, and you know a couple of her songs, at least. You know one version of her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Black Rose 
obviously didn't go anywhere. It disbanded in 1981. Um, and around this time, like, you know, she was having a decreasing album sales and wasn't very commercially successful. So she decided to just go into her other love, um, which is acting. And she really decided to develop her acting career. Um, she had previously aspired to go into film and she, you know, had only critically and commercially unsuccessfully been in movies like Chastity by <laughs> Sonny Bono. <laughs> <laughs> like none other than Chastity. <laughs> yeah. Everyone remember that art film? Okay. No? Cool. <laughs> oh, never heard of it? Oh, my bad. Sorry. Yeah. So she was like, I need to hone my skills. Um, you know, she pursued an acting career. She took some lessons in New York. She moved to New York. And in the 80s, she appeared in the Broadway play Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. And she also reprised the role, her role of Sissy in that play in the 1982 film adaptation. Um, and then she just, after that, she just started getting noticed by critics and fans alike. Um, and... She, that just really turned into some big on-screen performances. So she yeah. played Meryl Streep's lesbian roommate, Dolly Pelliker, in the 1983 drama Silkwood. Um, and she got an uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and a Golden yeah. Globe for that role. So, like, she hadn't really done too much, but people were like, wow, she can really act, you know? Yeah, um, and you love somebody different, too, you know? It's, like, always mm-hmm. the same leading lady is looks the freaking same blonde hair like you re- recognize her and you you like notice her you know you're like oh she's different I like this I like yeah, what I'm seeing it's not what I'm used to and I didn't expect her yeah. to, I'm sure she had a lot stacked against her you know and she was able to prove yeah. herself Um, she also starred in the 1985 movie mask, um, as the defiant, emotionally struggling mother of a son with, I'm going to totally mispronounce this, craniodiaphysal dysplasia, (laughs) which, um, radically alters the shape of someone's face, her, her son's face in the movie. Um, so she was really recognized for that. And in 1987, she um, starred in a bunch of big movies, including the thriller Suspect with Dennis Quaid. Um, She was in The Witches of Eastwick with Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Jack Nicholson. Um, And then she was in the romantic comedy Moonstruck, which also starred Olympia Dukakis and Vincent Gardinia. And Cher portrayed Loretta Castarini, an Italian New Yorker who reclaims her sensuality and goes against convention when pursued by the passionate brother of her fiancé, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Yes. 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 The six degrees of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yep. So Nicolas Cage has a little bit to do with her success as an actress. Um, her performance was widely acclaimed, um, and the movie has just gone on to become a classic, and she won an Oscar for Best Actress um, for Moonstruck. So, like, she's killing it. She's winning Oscars. She's at, like, the height of her movie career right now. Um, oh, and in ni- 1990, well. she starred in three movies uh oh I'm sorry she started in the first movie in three years so she took a little break because after Moonstruck it was like 
you know, like you won best actress, you have to make sure that like whatever you're going to do next is. Yes. Yeah. She set the bar high really early. Which is, yeah, troubling kind of, because then you're like, okay, how do I go up from here? Right, and I think that's why it took three years to do another movie, but in 1990, she starred in Mermaids, um, and in it, she plays... She um, did. Yes, she she did. did. She paid tribute to her own mother, um, because it's a story about a woman who moves her two daughters from town to town at the end of a love affair, but she clashed with the film's two directors, um, Lass Hallstrom and Frank Oz, and they were eventually replaced by a new director, Richard Benjamin, because the studio was like, they believed that Cher was going to be the star attraction, so they let her have creative control of the film. Um, So, like, they kicked out the two original directors for her. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's some pull. That is some pull. Crazy for a woman, like, also in 1990, to have that. And she was right. They were right. Mermaids was a box office success and got really good reviews. Um, But fun fact, partially due to her experiences filming Mermaids, Cher turned down leading roles in films, including The War of Roses and Thelma and Louise, um, because she said after the success of Moonstruck, I was so worried about her next career move that she was overly cautious. So, like I said. She could have been and she turned it down. Wow. Um, And then she went on to be um, to do her directorial debut in 1996. And she directed a segment of the abortion themed anthology. If these walls could talk. Um, And in it, she also um, she directed. And then she also starred as a doctor who's murdered by an anti-abortion fanatic. Attic, and it drew the highest oh rate God. for an original HBO movie at that time. Wow, I've never even heard of that. I had heard of it, but I did not know that's what it was about. So um, I wonder if it's available on HBO Max. I have to check it out. Interesting. Yes. Okay, so that's her acting kind of, you know, realm, and and she still has gone on to do even more acting since then, um, and. Yeah, I think she is in burlesque and, you know, she was in some more modern movies recently, but um, she got back into singing in 1987 when she signed again with Geffen Records, um, you know, the man who had helped kind of free her from Sonny. And she established um, herself as a serious rock and roller, a crown that she had been long working to capture. Yeah, she just keeps going after it. Yeah, you got to give her that. She does not give up. Yeah. And so like by the end of the 80s, she was also getting a lot of attention in the press for her controversial lifestyle, including tattoos, plastic surgery, um, her fashion and her affairs with younger men. So she had um, relationships with Val Kilmer, Eric Stoltz and Tom Cruise. Random. I feel like she's oh, way too tall. Oh, <laughs> Ew. Yeah. She also dated hockey player Ron um, Duguay and film producer Josh Donan, Bon Jovi, and guitarist Richie Sambora. And then my favorite, she dated a bagel baker who was 18 years younger than her. Yes. Six to 1989. 
Yes. Why Get have I heard of that? Why have I heard of that? That's I like a meme or something. It, it must that, be because yes. That's a three-year-long relationship, too. I mean, yes. get those vehicles. I males. have heard that <laughs> referenced before. I know. Right when you said it, I was like, yes. Damn. That's something <laughs> I Googled to fig- find out. Is that true? That's not true. Yeah. Oh, it was true. It is true. And yeah. as someone who worked at Brugger's Bagels as their very first job, <laughs> I admire it. <laughs> You're like, yes, you go, bagel boy. You go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so then in 1989, she released her 19th studio album, Heart of Stone. Um, it was certified triple platinum by RIAA. And we will all know a song from this album because um, the infamous music video for the single, If I Could Turn Back Time, came yes. out and caused a lot of controversy because it has Cher performing on the battleship USS Missouri, straddling a cannon and wearing a leather thong that revealed her <laughs> tattooed butt. <laughs> yep. That outfit yep. is Everybody's like seen it. Yes. Yeah. It's one of her most famous outfits, one of her most famous music videos, like with all the sailors. It's great. <laughs> Iconic. Again. Iconic. Absolutely. Haters gonna hate. I loved it. Yep. Sonny Bono would hate this. <laughs> he would have hated he, that. Yeah. He would have hated that. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, she also explored other things besides acting and singing. And in 1991, she released the exercise book Forever Fit. Um, I'm sorry, 1991. I think I said 81. And then she also, the next year, released a series of fitness videos called Share Fitness, A New Attitude, and Share Fitness, Body Confidence. <laughs> okay, so I like remember, that. I like that. You might remember a few years ago in 2017, at the age of 71, she received um, Billboard's Icon Award. And during her speech, she said that she could hold a plank for five minutes. So Damn. fitness is very important part of her life like yeah for sure. I mean if when you look at her you're like she's fit like you can tell you don't get that body just from doing nothing absolutely so even today in her 70s she's still a fitness freak um but also in the early 90s she contracted Epstein-Barr virus and developed chronic fatigue oh, no. syndrome and I yes. don't know what Epstein-Barr was it's yes. uh it's not one of the nine known human herpes virus types um, in the herpes family. And it's one of the most common viruses in humans. Um, yeah, I've heard of that before. It makes you so, so tired. Like, I yeah. think you can get that from Lyme's, Lyme's disease mm-hmm. or something. That would make sense. Something too, similar, that at least. makes you very fatigued. Yeah. Um, So, you know, because she needed to earn money and was not healthy enough to work on other projects, she started to star in infomercials for like health, beauty and diet products. And those earned her close to 10 million in fees. But her infomercials were parodied on Saturday Night Live and critics considered her to be a sellout, many suggesting that her film career 
you know, film career and singing career was over. Um, and she told Ladies Home Journal, suddenly I became the infomercial queen and it didn't occur to me that people would focus on that and strip me of all my other things. Yeah, damn. Wow. Well, and it's really sad because she, like, had to resort to that because she right. had Epstein Barr. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Wow. Another 90s project of hers was, in 1994, she started a mail-order catalog for the youngins. You used to have to order things that way before the internet. And What? Uh, What's a catalog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you call a number, yeah. place an order, and... She, the catalog was called Sanctuary, and it sold gothic theme products. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay sure. um, but she has always continued to reinvent herself musically. And in 1995, she signed with Warner Music's UK label, WEA, and released the album It's a Man's World. Um, and this came out of her idea of covering men's songs from a woman's point of view. So that's really interesting. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) And critics actually really liked the album because it had a lot of R&B influences. And people just thought that her voice had even, like, improved, you know, this later in life. Um, And then in 1998, this is probably, like, my generation share. She released her 22nd album, Believe. Um, yes. Yes, she did. <laughs> you we have danced to this song at a middle school dance. Absolutely. You know you have. Absolutely. Um, and it's still, like, on all the time. Um, and so this, you know, was another reinvent of her um, musical style and it's more like dance pop songs um so it kind of had that disco era feel um but believe became the best-selling record of 1998 and 1999 in the uk and the us and it's her most successful single to date wow that was a hit that was a hit was a pioneer because that is the very first song to use auto-tune so yes I knew there was something historical about that song yes it is historic yes I had heard that yeah historical historical share ladies and gentlemen wow that's right her vocals so go back and listen to trivia yeah go back and listen to it it's great listen that's a great trivia question Oh, yeah, I feel like everybody thinks it's, like, two chains or something. No, it's Cher, okay? (laughs) Cher, first auto-tuned, like, hit song, really, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, And then on January 31st, 1999, she performed the Star Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. And two months later, she sang on the televised special VH1's Divas Live 2, which attracted 19... 4 million viewers um and according to vh1 it was the most popular and most watched program in the television network's history as shares was a huge part of making it exactly that yeah i remember that i watched that yeah oh yeah i remember seeing that too you know um 
so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like her, what she's known for in her career. And like, now we'll talk a little bit about Cher today and the legacy. Um, so as I mentioned, she is the mother of Chaz Bono and Elijah Blue Allman. And, um, you know, Cher is an outspoken longtime supporter of the LGBTQ community, but she has been also very outspoken about having um, a difficult time adjusting and accepting her son's transition. So chastity transition to Chaz. Um, and during an interview with Christiane Amanpour, Cher actually corrected her when Christiane said that um, she, she like indicated that Cher didn't struggle with her son's transition. I think a lot of people thought that because of her, you know, support of the LGBTQ community. And she said, no, that's not exactly true. I did. It was very unlike me to, in the beginning, to have a problem with Chaz being gay. And it disappeared like that. And then we talked about transgender for many years. And she would say, no, I don't want to do it. And then went on and then went and said, okay, I want to do this. It wasn't easy. Like I remember calling and the old message, the old Chaz message was on the phone, you know, and that was very difficult. But then you have one child and you don't really lose them. They are just a different shape. So, wow, yeah, I remember that intro, that um, special. On we TV. could do a whole thing on Chaz Bono, too. I mean, yeah. honestly, like yeah. he's a big advocate um, and she's so supportive of him today. She just recently tweeted something about the Equality Act and was like, I love you, Chaz. And, you know, like so. um she, she, you know, I'm sure it's just difficult and, you know, for a big change like that for any parent. Um, but yeah. she's really open about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, yeah. I mean, today I kind of know her for Twitter. She's become very outspoken on Twitter for her um, political stance, social justice issues, and animal rights. Um, yes. Love that for her. Yep. She's like a crazy Twitter person. Um, oh. And in, in 2018, she used Twitter to announce that she was working on four new projects for the next two years, um, a Christmas album, a second album of ABBA covers, and an autobiography and a biographical film about her life, which needs to come out now because <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah. Where is that? Like, hello. I mean, I'm sure it out over at COVID Netflix probably, so fast. But yeah, I'm sure COVID probably put a delay on that because this was 2018. She announced oh, she was going to start working on that. So hopefully yeah. we still have that to look forward to. This um, is perfect quarantine. Well, viewing oh my god I couldn't think of anything better absolutely and then in 2019 she launched a perfume called Cher Eau de Couture which was um four years in the making and it is described as a genderless fragrance um you know again you know for her love of Chaz and the transgender community she made something that was genderless and um it, she also had a perfume back in 1987 called Uninhibited, but so she's still kind of in that space as well. And then in 2020, she recorded a song for Joe Biden's presidential campaign called Happiness is Just a Thing Called Joe. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Now, does she still live in Santa Fe? Is that like her primary? I, I know... She at least has a house there because I went to Santa Fe and guys don't sleep on Santa Fe. Oh Get God, there. I love Santa Fe. Like, oh, Santa Fe, yep. if you have like 
I would say like you know because I'm, I'm like okay whatever go to like big cities but I feel like these smaller like because like I feel like everybody's heard of Santa Fe but it wouldn't be like you know oh on my top 10 list of places mm-hmm. to visit but you gotta go like that sometimes that next tier down where you're like where isn't everybody and go Absolutely. there I went for like or, the day and had lunch there and it was so I can't wait to go back it's beautiful the food was so good (laughs) yeah but when I was there I just remember like we're driving there my dad's like yeah Cher lives in Santa Fe oh okay I didn't even know that Cher fan I know she might probably still have a house or I know she I thought she was like I know she's close with Kathy Griffin, and so I think she also has a house in um, L.A. or, you know, one of the suburbs, like, there. Um, I would imagine she lives, yeah. She has a house probably just, like, you know, she visits in Santa Fe. Yeah, probably. Um, And then in December of 2020, we're going to get into her animal rights activism just for a little bit. Um, She went to London at that time to advocate for rescuing Kavan, the world's loneliest elephant from a zoo in Pakistan, um, so that he could go to a sanctuary in Cambodia. And I guess like her Twitter followers first told her about Kavan. Um, He is a 36-year-old Asian bull elephant who was living in like awful conditions in a zoo in Islamabad. There was no roof on his shed, no water in his pool, and he had no toys to play with. And he would stand in his tiny shed with his little face and little head facing the wall. And basically, he's been described as, like, the most depressed-looking pachyderm. (laughs) No. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. So once Cher learned about Kavan, she was determined to rescue him. And I am happy to say that Kavan did make it to the sanctuary in Cambodia. And Cher has visited him there. (laughs) Praise be. Praise be. And apparently Cher. she like loves elephants in general, not just Kavan. So yeah. obviously she was gonna How go. How can you not? How could you not freaking love elephants? Like <laughs> most depressed elephant. Like, isn't that the saddest thing? <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> so I thought the best way to close this um report was just to read you Cher's Twitter bio. <laughs> Because <laughs> yes, it's great. this is amazing. Okay, I love that. So, and I quote: "Stand and be counted, or sit and be nothing. Don't litter, chew gum, walk past homeless people without a smile. Doesn't matter. In five years, it doesn't matter. There's only love and fear." <laughs> wow. And, like, her tweets are very convoluted like that, but I think there's always, like, a good positive message in each one of them. I, I like wanted to include a bunch be... of them, but just go look at her Twitter profile. Just go yes. look at her tweets. <laughs> there could be just, like, a whole, like, college course on, like, yes. Cher's Twitter bio. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's amazing. So, um, yeah, follow her on Twitter. Like, go back and put on some share, you know, like, watch that If I Could Turn Back Time iconic music video again, everyone. Um, yes. Watch that. 
Yes. Oh, and I have one question for you at the end. This could be like our award. Okay. Best share impersonation Halloween costume. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I just think of like Kim K and food. (laughs) That's exactly. That was it. You win. You win the prize. Well, that is share who I was thinking. And Kim Kardashian have an Armenian love affair too. So they mm-hmm. like on Twitter are lo- often like she's often like my Armenian daughter or whatever you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, that uh, that was an iconic Halloween look because so wow, yeah, so good. So wow. Good. I feel so well informed. Carolyn. Just for you. Four letters and, you know, an iconic career and legacy. (laughs) Thank you. I just feel so much wiser. Yeah. And if, like, your husband ever tries to deny you financial gain, just go ahead and hit him with the involuntary servitude divorce papers, okay? <laughs> you can do it. Cher has set a precedent now, so legally you can wow. do it. <laughs> I know. Wow. I feel like a couple people listening could, like, really, <laughs> really make something with that. So there you go. Here you have yeah, it. I, legal advice. I really enjoyed learning about her. Like, I think I knew, you know, the greatness of Cher, but didn't know all the details. So um, I hope you guys did too. And she's definitely earned her spot right at the top, um, you know, with our famous divas for sure. And still, you know, I'm excited to see what she does next because she's 74 and she's not going anywhere, you know. She's still alone. She's got things to do still. I love that. Wow. Well, I I'll be back next week with the final diva of the series. So another big listen. one too. We're coming out yeah. swinging with the divas. Like I'm really There's enjoying the so series. Many. I know, I know. And we'll probably do like another series on the yep. famous divas. Just like, like VH1 volume two. We'll do a volume two probably at some point. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much for listening. We love you. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Famous Kate and Liz, Kate with a C. Um, yeah, again, this is awkward ending a podcast. So what do you have to say, Liz? Um, go follow, share on Twitter. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye.